I'll be talking about more than just the Benjamins. Welcome to Fintech Beat, where finance, technology, and policy come together. I'm your host, Chris Brummer, and the future of finance is now. Anyway, you slice it, the fintech ecosystem is pretty darn homogeneous, and people, including yours truly, have been on the hunt to think through how to add more variety to the conversation in order to build better teams, services, and financial products. But there are many different kinds of diversity in the world. Religious, gender, racial, ethnic, and that's just a start. You see, scientists have said that there's also cognitive diversity, which refers to how different people process information both emotionally and otherwise. And this too can impact how firms operate and how teams, especially fintech teams, may coordinate to achieve business and technology goals. Now, to help walk us through this novel topic, as well as to how cognitive diversity intersects with other forms of diversity, I'm delighted to welcome onto the show Yuri Ort and Reese Akhtar, the founders of Deeper Signals, a company that's developed an AI-driven psychometrics assessment tool. Together, they're pushing on the boundaries of industrial economics, psychology, and technology, and they've agreed to join us on the show to talk about what they've learned about team building, and how it's bound to transform the future of human capital and the very process of smart innovation. Yuri, Reese, thanks so much for joining the show. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks, Chris. It's good to be here. Why is diversity of thought good for firms. Um, I, I think it's an important issue since everyone kind of talks about it, but but you guys have a really interesting take. I think, Chris, that's a, an important question and something that has come to the surface more and more over the last decade. Diversity is important. It's a, it's a moral imperative. Religious diversity, ethnic diversity, what have you, that is something that we need to focus on, but it doesn't necessarily translate to the benefits of cognitive diversity. Research shows that cognitive diversity leads to better decision-making in organizations, a better performance, more psychological safety and inclusiveness, higher levels of engagement. And so all of those benefits um, come with cognitive diversity, which oftentimes is associated to other kinds of diversity, but they're not necessarily tightly coupled. So what then is cognitive diversity? Good, good question. So, so cognitive diversity means that within a group of people, you have different forms of uh, methods for taking in information, processing that information. You start off at a baseline with a different knowledge base um, for the information that you have. And so when you're attacking a problem in an organization, um, you're coming at it from different angles. And you have the awareness and the ability to challenge those in your group um, with the assumptions that they have so that the end result of whatever goal you have is going to be a better result. And, and, and Reese, you know, sort of picking up on that, where exactly does cognitive diversity come from? I mean, is, is, it, is this a, a kind of a psychological um, feature that's tied to physiology or, or is it you know, t- 
tied to some of these other factors that um, uh, people normally associate uh, diversity with? Yeah, that's a great question. So cognitive diversity is something that um, in the psychological literature is often referred to as deep diversity or, or deep psychological uh, diversity. And what it's really describing is the various ways in which our personalities, our values, the styles of which we learn and make decisions differ. Um, and so over the last 50 or so years, scientists have been studying you know, how each of us are both similar and different, and then how these things play out in different team or group environments. And what we're seeing is that cognitive diversity is when there is complementary uh, personality traits, attitudes, and values. So for example, if you, Chris, are really curious, creative, you're always looking for the big idea. I'm someone that is um, very detail-orientated, pragmatic, and practical. We're cognitively diverse in how you want to see the world as um, full of opportunity, ideas, and creativity. I'm much more executing and, um, and delivering. Together, if we're in a team, you're great at generating the ideas, and I'm going to be the one that's going to implement them. And so when we have cognitive diverse teams, it's about getting that balance right. So, so that's a really interesting idea. This, this, this kind of concept that you, know, you really do need to have a certain amount of complementarity and, and perhaps even friction in order to achieve um, outstanding outcomes. I mean, is this, is this also a way, uh, Yuri, in which businesses or, or companies become smarter I mean, what's that connection between sort of the cognitive diversity and and and, and the intelligence of, of a firm or, or or entity? I think you know, the the key word there is smart, right? What does what does smart mean? Um, if you think of smart as uh, IQ points, which I think many people do, and it's it's you know inaccurate in terms of a of a firm or an organization, you know then no, just hire the smartest people you can and have the highest collective IQ. You know, but what we see is that there's actually you know there's a curvilinear relationship there where of course it helps from a, a smart organization perspective to have you know more IQ points, but you also need to think about the ability to you know learn so curiosity taking new information, learnability of the organization, self-awareness so that you can change because you know who you are, you know where as an organization, collectively, you are uh, you know, able to access new information and know your limits. That, that is critical. I mean, if COVID tells you anything else, right, tells you nothing else, that's what it tells you, right? Like you can, you can think you have everything you need and you're on a, a successful path to organizational performance, profitability, what, what, what have you, you know, and then all of a sudden the world throws a wrench at you and how is your organization going to respond and adapt when all of a sudden you need to master different skills and deal with completely new circumstances. And that's really where that smartness of cognitive diversity is going to come into play and be critical. You know, Reese. You know what what Yuri said is is going to be uh, a bit of a surprise, I think, for a lot of the people who are listening to this, particularly our, our our friends in the fintech ecosystem and over in Silicon Valley, who tend to sort of just um, emphasize IQ. You know, which is this this one particular metric by saying if I just get the smartest people in the room, you know, that by itself, 
you know, uh, I'm going to be able to achieve certain kinds of outstanding results and, and even creativity when it comes to developing my apps, when it comes to trying to figure out what kind of um, infrastructure I'm using for my uh, different uh, financial tools and assessments and the like. Uh, but, but instead, there, there's really this interesting emphasis on um, e- even the uh, uh, either qualitative or, or even softer kinds of, of skills and, and aspects to the personalities of individuals when they're involved in the process of innovation and creation. Where does cognitive diversity sort of fit then um, in the idea of, of a firm or, or, or firm culture? I mean, is, is it something that's more important when you're a startup or is it when you're a bit larger, it becomes um, uh, much more important to the uh, survival of a company? So a few things there, like one, it definitely makes sense to hire for smart, intelligent people. Of course, that, that's always a good thing. But I think, you know, if you over-index on intelligence or just a particular set of skills, you are not appreciating actually how 80% of the work is done. And that is through communicating, it's through your relationships, it's through influencing um, uh, others. It's all these soft skills or these uh, interpersonal factors that really shape the way that we get stuff done. And that doesn't really matter if you're in a startup, if you're an individual contributor, if you are a leader, or even if you're a large enterprise. The ability to have effective soft skills is really um, critical and a differentiating factor for successful and unsuccessful organizations. And so when we think about cognitive diversity and where does it really sit um, within, say, an organization's uh, lifespan or different types of industries, you know, startups need cognitive diversity. That's the way that you're going to be able to pressure test your ideas. That's the way you're going to maybe um, better understand your users, um, better understand the market. And that's going to obviously help you grow and succeed. While also, if you are a large uh, organization, you're, you're at risk of becoming, uh, you know, stale and just operating in your own echo chamber. And so the ability to have that internal cognitive diversity is going to push you to keep challenging assumptions, keep trying to innovate and keep doing things differently. I think it's, it's difficult and it may be um, a bit, uh, you know, can create some tension having cognitive diversity within your organization, but it's definitely the right thing to do if you want to um, get the right business results. Just to echo what we said, how many times we hear managers, senior leaders in organizations who tell us, you know, I have this star performer. I just want to replicate them. Right? How can I make more of this person? Right? And it's, it's understandable and it's intuitive, but it's, it's inaccurate because it's incorrect, right? Because that star performer is likely not performing on their own, right? They have a team around them. They're leveraging that team. There's some thought diversity there. And if all we do is now make a, a new team with a bunch of clones of that star performer, they're not going to be in the same environment and likely not going to be performing the same way. They will derail is what will end up happening. So you have to think about it holistically. You guys are in the business of not just thinking about it holistically, but actually kind of you know, levering technology to sort of identify those features and then sort of systematizing the data and then deploying it in all kinds of different situations, whether or not it be fintech or other 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 kinds of industries. How is it possible to even use data to sort of track these kinds of skills 
Um, I mean, you know, and is cognitive diversity something that can be coded, much less tested? I'm going to say something radical then, or at least radical in in my industry, because the way that you've just phrased it, and I think that's the way that historically the conversation has been managed, is let's do something to our people, to our organization to measure this, right? Can we measure candidates who are applying for a job to select the right candidates? Can we measure employees in our organization to decide on their succession plan or you know or promotion right what we the way we think of it is you know what can we do with people to help them you know understand themselves become more self-aware take them on the journey with us that's how we will then also have the data that we need to put them in the right place, to create the right teams that have the diversity we're looking for. So if we change our lens, instead of as IO professionals or as assessment specialists, instead of looking at people as, as the kind of the, the lab rats that we do things to, we, we instead take them on the journey with us, we can, I, I think we, we can then collect the genuine data that we need. Because otherwise, the data is inaccurate. It's it's at least uh, it's, it. It comes along with the anxiety and the worry that tests and assessments always have. Picking up on that again, I mean, Reese. I mean, how exactly? I mean, when we talk about this data that's that's being generated, I mean, what kind of data do you need for cognitive diversity? And again, you know, how is this something that can be be, be tested and uh, deployed? So there's various different types of data you can get. Um, and the way that we do it and the kind of the main approach is through psychometric uh, inventories or surveys. So you may have completed these when you're uh, maybe applying for a job uh, like the MBTI or a big five-factor five model type tool. That's a way of trying to understand how you typically behave. And then traditionally, um, forecasting is done by saying, okay, people in our organization that have these profiles tend to behave in a certain way. And this is to Uri's point around cloning those high potentials. Like we just want more of people that have this type of personality profile. And that's like been the traditional way of doing it. And when it comes to cognitive diversity, it's about leveraging someone's profiles and seeing in what ways and where are they most different to everyone else within their team, within their department. And that's what you're really looking for. Because then if you match them for, say, skills, experience, so that you know they can do the job from a technical perspective, what are those soft skills that they're going to bring to their team? So going back to my example, I'm, as a pragmatic person, I'm going to really round out a really creative, innovative team because I can put their ideas into action. And so, yeah, to capture that data, use scientifically developed psychometric tools they can really give you accurate insights around how you typically behave. And then from there, you can start modeling these things out. So, so to what extent does, does, does cognitive diversity uh, then sort of map onto you know, other ways in which we, we tend to think about diversity, whether or not it be uh, gender, whether or not it be race or ethnicity? Why not just sort of rely on those metrics by themselves then, and, and given that the, there is some diversity of experience, and say, well, you know, uh, you know, the, from from that we have a, a diverse team. What is what is the intersection of these sort of classical forms of diversity, which do reflect very different experiences, and then this this new layer that you're trying to sort of uh, use and 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 deploy using AI 
um, you know, focusing on cognitive uh, diversity risk. Demographic and, and cognitive diversity are two separate things in terms of what are you trying to achieve. So obviously, demographic diversity is, is a, a moral imperative, um, whereas cognitive diversity is a more broader, more maybe more business process um, type uh, uh, ambition or something you want to achieve as it improves say, decision making, innovation, and so on. Now, the two are linked, though. For example, if you was to hire uh, more demographically diverse people, you're going to introduce more cognitive diversity, um, but also vice versa. If you start looking for different types of talent, even it, like just based on soft skills, experience, and so on, you're going to increase that representation in as well because you're no longer um, relying on heuristics and biases that have shaped your current hiring practices, your promotion practices, your talent practices. So the, the, the two go hand in hand. And by pursuing either option, you're going to kind of push the needle and, and achieve the opposite. Yuri, do firms have personalities? Um, and, 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 and if they do, and this gets back to a bit of that earlier conversation of, of, of the superstar and the superstar hiring, um, you know, should a firm hire an individual based on certain kinds of uh, characteristics or, or features that they're looking for or, or should this data be, be employed in, in a different way? So firms do have personalities. We call it culture, but they, there is a, a firm culture and there's a whole lot of research that uh, has looked at organizations and their culture, where the culture comes from, the real culture. Um, but I think companies would do better trying to hire those who are different from their culture. I think, um, you know, you may have heard, you know, faced with a complex situation, where everybody agrees, uh, find someone who disagrees and cherish them, right? That, that is, is a really important way of thinking about it. Organizations are constantly faced with situations that are hard. They need good decisions to be made. And if all you're doing is hiring those who match the firm's personality, if you will, then you're going to get more and more of that group thinking. So I'd say hire differently. And, and, and Reese, I mean, what do you think? I mean, uh, you guys are are a startup, and so you know you've you've certainly uh, seen all kinds of uh, different players from from venture capital, which has obviously had certain kinds of criticisms of of, of a certain degree of of, of homogeneity and, and, and groupthink. But really, it's a it, it's a critique that you can see in lots of different pockets of um, uh, finance and, and technology. I mean. You're, you're, you have your ha- on your hands um, all this very interesting data. Um, you know, how do you think it should be deployed and ultimately used? Is it something that should be used where you say to yourself, we need a certain kind of person and that person, uh, you know, that should be the parameters that we're, that, that we're looking for? Or, or, or is there a different way in which personality, soft skill, cognitive data should be used uh, by firms? Uh, when they're setting about uh, their own business strategy. So when it comes to like looking for talent, I think we need to do a few things. Like one is to continually challenge our internal practices around how and where we're looking for it. Typically, we just rely on people that are in our own networks or the same types of tools, systems, or services, which only ever, uh, which is like a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's just going to give you more and more of the same, which ultimately is not going to get you anywhere. So I think it's first having a very frank and honest conversation about that and being willing to kind of wade into the messiness and difficulty of change. 
Um, but when it comes to assessing people, we want to try and get the full 360 of, yeah, their experience, their hard skills, as well as their soft skills. But it shouldn't just be this top-down process when it comes to assessing people. I think to Uri's earlier point, we typically view job applicants or, or employees as something just to kind of monitor, measure, and just use that data in a way to feed our own algorithms as the HR manager um, leader. And I think there is an opportunity now to leverage this data to actually help provide super interesting and relevant coaching for you know, the people that have given up that data, but actually use that data in a way that can really help and get the most out of that person's potential. So again, if you understand what my personality profile is, now uh, you can find certain, envi certain environments, tasks, or projects that are going to motivate me the most, that are going to help me work to my fullest potential. And so it's not this idea of there being a right or wrong or a good or bad fit from a, um, a soft skills perspective. It's about finding what talent you have and making sure within your organization it's in the right place and being managed correctly. You need to create an environment if you're going to have this diversity that celebrates it. That's the, the cognitive diversity, right? It has a certain level of psychological safety so that people can speak up. You don't do any, any good if you bring that kind of thinking into the organization and then you kind of take a circle and try to stick it in a box and you know, cram it in so that everyone thinks the same way. Well, then you haven't really accomplished much. Exactly that. There isn't, um, when it comes to diversity in, in any of its forms, it's not just uh, a case of hiring uh, more of the same or hiring different. It's actually creating the environment, the culture, the business process that is actually going to use it. That's how you're going to get the most out of uh, you know, diverse talent, no matter how you define it. You know, that is uh, very interesting. And, and, and I think it's just a, a critical observation, particularly when you think about uh, some of the challenges Silicon Valley has had with regards to hiring people, whether or not cognitively diverse and, and other diverse populations, you know, that there's this challenge of not just getting people, but also then retaining them over the long haul. And, and, and if there's not, I guess, as you've identified the right culture, then you may be able to hire some people, but they end up walking off or, or going somewhere uh, shortly thereafter. Yeah. And remember, there's a cost to cognitive diversity, and we shouldn't forget, forget about that either, right? There's a reason why people tend to hire those who are similar to them, right? Because it's easier. You can work with them. You get along great. You go home feeling good at night. The reason why the cognitive diversity cost is worth it is if you actually celebrate it, you listen to it, you include it. When you hear someone saying something different than you as a manager or a leader, you're like, huh, that sounds strange, but hey, that's probably a good signal for me to listen to what they're saying because it's different from the way I think. If you can do that, it's worth it. If not, you're just enduring a cost that has no ROI. Yuri, Reese, really fascinating conversation and, and one that I hope we can uh, continue later in the future. But thanks so much for joining Fintech Beat. I, I've learned a lot. Great. Same. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Chris. Good to be here. Whichever way you cut it, Building teams isn't easy. It requires time to think through how organizations operate, what their needs are, and which candidates speak to those needs. But like other areas of the ecosystem, the provision of human capital, too, is set for disruption. And not just because of the pressing calls for inclusion after George Floyd. 
Indeed, the business strategy for firms and startups are all facing new pressures in the battle for market share, and making sure there's enough creative friction for achieving outsized returns will be a key component of how even fintech firms will adapt and thrive. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to get in touch, just hit me up at Chris Brummer DR. That's at C-H-R-I-S-B-R-U-M-M-E-R-D-R. We'd love to hear from you. Fintech Beat is produced by CQ Roll Call, a leader in nonpartisan political and policy news and analysis for more than 70 years. CQ Roll Call is part of Fiscal Note, a global technology and media company.